If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause, and Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. I am Mark Pat Selfon Backhoffmeyer, and I am Jay Electrical Disturbance Cluett. And this week we're talking about Deep Blue Sea Two, Chapter Five. <laughs> What happens in Deep Blue Sea Two, Chapter Five? Well, the sharks have untethered the, the boat on the surface, which knocks into the generator, causing it to spark and some big barrels of fuel to fall over and start leaking into the ocean. Meanwhile, back underwater, Carl Durant tells Dr. Misty Calhoun that she was brought to Achilles because Bella, the main bull shark, has been acting strangely, to which Dr. Misty Calhoun hypothesizes that Bella is pregnant. Translator checks out the electrical disturbance on the surface and is concerned when the trained sharks do not respond to his command because they're out slamming themselves against the facility walls. Back in the wet lab, Josh is obtaining a throat culture from the sedated Bella, being watched by Misty, Durant, Mike, and the Kims. With his arm shoulder deep into Bella's mouth, Josh sees Bella's eye move, realizes she's woken up earlier than expected, and barely yanks his arm out in time. Mike drops Bella back into the ocean, and she swims away. Durant's lawyer Craig is typing in his office when the surface fuel explodes, damaging Achilles and knocking everyone to the floor. Craig deals with dripping ceilings, exploding rivets, and gets washed away down a corridor. Whilst Aaron maintains pressure in the lab so the room isn't flooded. Doctor Mister Calhoun sees a corridor flooding through a window and sees the remains of Craig, identifiable by his awful tie, having been partially eaten. And then Aaron reports that the eastern corridor is flooded, and between Trent and Misty, the juice that the sharks are in a feeding frenzy, staying in the complex to kill the team. Also, to make matters worse, the drop into the wet pool induced Bella's labour, so Craig was eaten by her babies, who we see in the last second of this chapter, presumably swimming through some kind of bright green toxic waste. Lots happened in this chapter, Mark. I think we need someone, someone to help talk talk us through what's going on here. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. Well, so coming back, uh, uh, a returning guest. It's uh, Caitlin McNabb. Thank you for coming back. I'm back. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> What an intro! A lot happens in this one. This so much happens. It's an action-packed chapter. Uh, things are starting to go down. And, uh, 
on a Kyrgios. I got, I got swept away in that. I, the only, I, I, I hate critiquing anything, but I wish you would have said, Achilles! Like, Achilles! Um, okay. Brian Co- yeah, note note Troy, taken like for Achilles. future chapter breakdowns. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We got to Brian Cox it up from Troy. I, I will try. Right, I will try. <laughs> this, I, I have a question. Uh, what did y'all think of Mike's tinkering in this chapter? He, there's a scene where they walk by him and he's just tinkering with a wench. He does a lot of winch work. Wench, not a wench. This isn't like a pirate movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tinkering um, with, with a wench is a very different film. <laughs> tinkering with a winch. What would y'all think about his winch tinkering? <laughs> Whatever he's tinkering with can't be moving because, like, it's to do with Bella. He he hits the winch later to drop Bella into the into the sea, and she's on a stationary platform. So, like, he's he's just checking. He's just looking at it. <laughs> and it I feel like he was given no notes. Just told stand there. Just look busy. Yeah. He's McQueening. Stinker. Yeah. Stan- oh, he's McQueening? Yeah. He's McQueening. Uh, what do you think, Caitlin? I honestly didn't notice it. The only thing I noticed with him in this scene is that I couldn't figure out, I'm like, is he holding the on switch or is he holding like the ultrasound probe thing? Like he's just sort of, he's not really doing, he's not doing much until he has to drop her into the water. So I would say wench work questionable at best, but uh, clutch when needed. So... Yeah, he's there for it. Now, he's that, there. It's weird seeing a winch that works in a movie because I'm so used to winches malfunctioning. This one works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the winch breaks in the first deep we see on the helicopter. Yeah. So yeah, and give. I, it's just refreshing to walk, watch a working winch. It's another <laughs> yeah. way he mixed it up in this movie. You know, subverts our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this is a chapter that uh, has a lot pays a lot of homage to the first the first deep blue sea. There's a lot of callbacks in this one. Mm-hmm. This is Misty Calhoun's finest chapter so far. I, she's in her element. I, I think this is the most comfortable she's been during this because she calls out, oh gosh, Beach. Carl Durant. Yeah, Carl Durant. She calls him out and he's like, yeah, you got me. And then she gives, she drops all the information about being pregnant, about the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. This is her. And then she's just throughout. She's like, yeah, the, the baby, gave, the thing gave birth. They're in a feeding frenzy. She's been swimming with sharks at seven. My wife was seven. shocked by that. Seven. Then, That's young. That's irresponsible parenting right there. Well, right? Her, her, her mother was one who started the Five Oceans Institute, so we have to assume mm-hmm. that it was maybe before Misty was born or in Misty's youth. Uh, so her mother's been working around sharks and marine wildlife for a long time. So I, I'm guessing it wasn't an unsupervised seven No, I... Just splashing around with, with sharks. <laughs> <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> but even supervised shark swimming <laughs> isn't the most responsible thing in the world for a seven-year-old. I mean, a lot of seven-year-olds swim in the ocean, I guess, and there's sharks mm-hmm. that we don't see. If that's what she it means. It depends on which ones. You know, swimming with bull sharks at seven, not great. Swimming yeah. with maybe like a nurse shark, that's fine. You can do that. Little leopard shark, that's also fine. You know, those things are harmless, but... If yeah, when, good point. When Misty says that she's been swimming with sharks since she was seven, if she, just, if she means just paddling in the ocean, then mm-hmm. I have some issues with what she said. That's... <laughs> I mean, so have I then, technically. <laughs> Haven't we? Yeah. Well, she kind of does, like, the Carter Blake, like, fin grab in that one scene previous yeah. to this. And so it's like, is she learning to do that? Or <laughs> what's she doing in the water? Yeah. Oh, but, I want a movie about how she learns that maneuver. Because that was really cool in the beginning. And the song. I miss, I wish that no. song was played in every chapter. <laughs> deep, hard, hard disagree. <laughs> swimming in the deep. Oh, man. I hate it. I'm, I'm with you there. I you hate it? it? 
I hated it, the song so much. I love Misty, though. I loved the actress. I'm pleased to see she's now, like, in Shondaland, just living her best life on one of her, those shows. But I think both her as an actress and the character is really wonderful. Like, I, I really loved her. And, yeah, I loved her Misty quips. And we get such a good one in this scene where she says to Carl Durant, maybe you're too busy patting yourself on the back. And it's, you know, that's... That's a mic drop right there. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's great. And she I think her and Josh are super the stars of, of this chapter. So and, and Durant takes it. Like he he, she's he right. does. He, he acknowledges. Yeah, he's got that little. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, I, I, I love Michael Beach. Michael Beach is the highlight of the whole film for me. He's, he's the best part of every scene, uh, even the ones he's not in. So I just I just love the act, his, his acting approach to everything. Just, yeah, he, he's the most competent actor in the film. I'm surprised as Henley didn't go up on, in flames from that burn. Like that would have been a, a good shot right there. Cause she got, no, you're right though. That's rare in movies where someone burns you and you're like, yeah, I get it. That's a, uh, that was really refreshing for me. I'm like, wow. That's uh yeah. I didn't see that coming. That That's probably top 10 moment in deep blue sea for deep blue sea two for me. How he takes that burn. Really? Yeah. Cause it's, God. it's another, the winch work, the way that he takes the burn and doesn't get all mad about it. He's like, yeah, I get it. Fair enough. It's respect right there. I love it. This is a, this is a good chapter right here. I love it. I just this this chapter is jam packed. I mm-hmm. thought it was just my like my top ten, my number one moment in this entire movie is the arm scene. Definitely. That's um, what you requested. You requested the arm. I requested best. it. <laughs> I said you said what do you want to do, and I was like I don't know. What's the arm scene in? Because it is the best scene in this movie. Hands down. I think there's a couple others. I mean, there's not a, hands down. There's not a lot to choose from in this movie, I think, but the scenes that are good to me stay with me. This is one of them. The other one in the future, not to talk about, but, um, is the shower scene. I think that's a really successful moment, but this one to me, I think one of the, so we talked about this before. We're like, I don't hate this movie. I think this movie has a level of hate towards it that is just, not accurate to what it is. I think people are really primed to hate this movie for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because, you know, it came, you know, like 19 years after the original or, or what it is, but people really hate this movie. And I just, I don't think it's fair, but one of the critiques I super agree with is that there's not a lot of shark action in this movie, Mm -mm. um, which is not necessarily the worst move. You know, they didn't have any money. And so like, as opposed to like something like, my most hated shark movie, Blue Demon, where they just pipe in a lot of horrible CGI. They didn't rely on it too much, but because of that, you just see a lot of people wading around in water. So I think because in this scene, you get, you know, you get like a shark body. I don't super know if it's like an animatronic or what it is. It's just like a plastic model. Um, but you get this sort of like visceral moment. Um, and it's one of the few, but it's, it's really great. And I really love the shark in the mouth cam. Oh hell yeah. yeah! That's my favorite just, show. I love it. It's great. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, just just seeing things through shark teeth. That's great. <laughs> every every film should have that. Whatever they gave that shark petrified it. Yeah. But that's a powerful drug that they yeah. sedated it with because it has gone immobile, <laughs> almost like like it you said, just rigid. like a plaster like. <laughs> yeah, rigid. <laughs> Yeah, she's the the other thing that makes me laugh really hard. I rewatched the scene right before this, and you know, in the so this is we've talked about. It. I think this movie's really handcuffed by the fact that it's a sequel. Both like 
that it feels like indebted to Deep Blue Sea and the way that it carries on its legacy instead of maybe like a referential like we're carrying on Dr. Susan McAllister's work or something like that. They just sort of homage certain scenes and try to mix them up, which is which is what it is. And I think that's why people think this movie rips off the original. <laughs> but one of the things that made me laugh is in the original, you know, they have the hose in the in the Mako shark's gills so that it can breathe. And in this one, they just sort of have like a tap above it that's like dripping water down its back. And I'm like, that's not doing anything. That's not how <laughs> sharks breathe. Like, you're just sort of wetting its back. Like, it's- <laughs> Maybe that's why Bella wakes up, because she's drowning. Maybe. So her, her gut instinct kicks in. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this is not doing anything for me. I feel moisturized, but it's not important. <laughs> oh, but I didn't notice it until it started made me laugh. Because I didn't, like, she just sort of, um, before this, like, she swims up to Trent or gets, you know, microchipped up to Trent. Who knows how that happens? And injected. And then it's similar to the first one. I'm like, how does she wake up? Is it just because she's so smart now? She knows how to, like, overpower her drugs or, like... How does what wakes her up? Like, it's still kind of unclear. I think just play acting. Okay. Like in the original, I think the shark and the, the Mako in the first one, it it helped. Like it needed Carter Blake. Where they're saying that Carter Blake took that gigantic shark onto a platform, like swam with it on his back. So the shark must have <laughs> helped him get it on that platform because there's no <laughs> other way that that shark is going to get on that platform. The Gen Two. Mm-hmm. So in this one. I think Bella's like, these dum-dums think I'm asleep. I'll I'll kind of push it and mess with them and stuff like that. And then it, it just finally has enough of the dude shoving its arm in her mouth yeah. that she just tries to take it off, and then they winch it down. So I think she's there the whole time listening. But they do inject her with something, and when they shine that flashlight in her eyes, like her pupils don't dilate. So yeah, is she just so smart? I guess she's controlling her... Her hormones or whatever it is for her blood test, you know, she's making it seem like she's not pregnant or excuse me, knocked up. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that was a funny term right there. She's knocked up. I watched this with my husband and he couldn't get over the fact that three scientists kept saying knocked up shark over and over again. And when I asked him what he thought about this movie, in particular the scene, he said, why would they say knocked up shark? Like they're scientists. It just, it just dumbfounded him, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't no. disagree. But. It makes me laugh hearing it though. I, I, that's why I, there's little bits in this moment, like the joy swim moment where they're <laughs> yeah. going on a joy swim. God damn. And then I love that line. And then when they bring up, you know, just she's knocked up. It's lines of dialogue that that like that that make me love this movie more. So, oh, yeah, scientists would not speak like that. I would well, it love shows to that they're you know they're cool. They're hip scientists. <laughs> the best, my favorite part about when they're talking about how she's knocked up, and then they're like, they're like maybe your drugs changed the hormones and monitored her DNA or whatever. And then the other scientists in the back whispers, "It's possible." <laughs> <laughs> It, I mean, it's it's like the script was written by me and Mark trying to make sense of what's going on in the film. Like, that line of dialogue yeah. is straight out of, well, I mean, maybe it's fed her DNA. They could do more to her than they thought. That's exactly yeah. the kind of thing we come up with on this show. So. It reminds me of, I think it was Thank You for Smoking, where Rob Lowe is like, they're trying to make a movie and they're like talking about smoking in space oh, and they're yeah. like, well, there's no oxygen. And then, so they're like, just be like, and then we invented the blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you like get around it and keep going. And that's, it's kind of like that. 
It's like, to oh, work within the world of the film, not the world that we live yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely it didn't take me out of it, but it just <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> but, and that that slow motion boat explosion is beautiful, is it not? Because that boat is moving yeah. at three miles an hour. I have a question about the boat. So in the scene previous to this, we see the shark, you know, razor off the cord with its fin. I don't, you know, don't know how that happens. Fine. Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They have razor fins. It's totally fine. Totally real. And then I mean, it's affected their DNA. Who knows what it's done? Yeah, that's right. The sharper fins. (laughs) You know, that's what happens in evolution. And the boat is like knocks into the fuel. And then when we see it later, like... That boat is definitely turned on. Like, <laughs> did the sharks <laughs> turn it on, or do we? Like, I'm, I'm like, is that just a movie mistake? And you weren't supposed to show that the motor is clearly running well, <laughs> into I, it. Or I thought maybe the splashing we can see is a shark pushing it. No was, way. Was the best I could yeah. come up with because well, as sharks that you can see it in the first few seconds of this chapter, there are like the silhouettes of sharks just beneath the boat. So I think that. There's some splashing, the shark's near the surface of the water, probably for the purposes of making the film, it was just easier to turn the boat on, but th- we can assume that the, the splashing is caused by the sharks pushing the, the boat into the into the generator. Okay. That's, what I, was, that, that's that. what I was thinking, because then it, I, I like that, because if they turn the boat on and hoped that it whapped the generator, yeah. that doesn't give them much agency. I like that they slowly take the boat into the generator, then it explodes. And I gotta say, Trent Slater, Slater Trent, Trader slant all the names I've given him. He sees this oil or gasoline pouring into the ocean, and he could lift all those things up. Yep. Or move them. Yeah. Yeah. He can at least stop the one that's on the on the dock for spilling out. He can at least pick yeah. that one up. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, very Trent. Least. Yeah. Trent. <laughs> Trent is the epitome of just—he's a beautiful dummy. Just, <laughs> he's there's something about him in this movie. He's. He doesn't, I don't know if it's, um, Misty acting with him that makes him better or what it is. There's, but there is something about him, but I agree. He could have done literally anything. And then later when he's talking to Aaron, I believe, and he's, and they're like, well, there's oxygen tanks underneath. What are we going to do? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're just going <laughs> to have to find out. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Trent goes up to the surface to see what's going on. He's up there. He sees these, these barrels are pulled over. There's a uh, sparking coming from the generator. We all know what happens when sparks hit fuel. Nothing yeah. good. So he decides to just go back down underwater and and not. Uh, this is when the point. This is the the stupid decision somebody makes in this film, regardless of making mm-hmm. sharks super intelligent, whatever. The stupid decision anybody makes here is translator going back under the surface instead of calling for help at that moment, because mm-hmm. oh, the, the, yeah. he knows there's only a small crew there. None of them can fix what's going on. He doesn't even make any attempts to fix it when they get down. When he gets down there, he just tells Aaron and then goes about his day. Just... He also, like, does his clicker thingy, and the sharks don't come, and he's like, oh, that's weird, and he doesn't tell anybody. He just, yeah, yeah he goes down there, and he's like, hey, there's fuel all over the place. Definitely there's going to be an explosion. Also, the sharks are malfunctioning, too, so let's just walk ourselves going in this right underwater today. prison and call it a day. <laughs> like... I would love it later. I love what you said. So Carl Durant's like, that beautiful dummy. Like, he just says something like that about Tr- Trent yeah. Slater later on. Like, why didn't you pick up the gasoline? No, it's like like no, John Hamm in Thirty Rock. He's just yeah. <laughs> he. I mean, he's a little. He's he's got a little more. He's definitely like he's supposed to be our Carter Blake, and he definitely doesn't seem as capable. But 
I, he's ex-military, I believe, right? Um, we don't, we don't know like, what I'm, he did. Just I mean, some, he's doing a hundred push-ups before each scene. That is clear. <laughs> for his welding scene. Yes, yeah, yes, for his welding scenes. Welding. Yeah. These, yeah, the wetsuits are out of control in this movie. <laughs> they are. They are. They, they are great. His strutting too is he tried to do some hallway strutting. Like Carter Blake in this one as well. Yeah. I don't know how to explain his walk. How would you explain his walking, Caitlin? What's what's Trent Slater's walk? Well, we have a term in this household that we call ILS, which is imaginary lat syndrome. And that is how he walks, <laughs> which is he pretends that he has enormous lat muscles in his back and he cannot move his arms in a certain way. And so he walks with like incredible posture, but he needs to turn sideways to go through a door frame. <laughs> so <laughs> that is how Trent walks. Uh, I don't know. He's got more, he's more possessed with his walk because as we recall with Carter Blake, Carter Blake is always falling. You know, there's like a, <laughs> a, an inch of water on the ground and he's falling every Whoa. day. But Trent, Trent rocks with purpose, you know. I was so. concerned when Trent was kind of doing his half jog on the surface. Like, is he going to fall down? What's going to happen? Yeah. But he was, he, it was okay. He was fine. <sighs> he was, was fine. Going. That's how they, they improved the Carter Blake role. You know, each, each character is tweaked a little bit from the first. You know, they make it very clear that Carl Durant is evil <laughs> in this one. We see it come across pretty hard. Yep. Uh, we love Misty. You know, there's no question about it. We don't have to worry about that. And with Trent... They're like, okay, Carter Blake's main downfall was that he could not walk properly and was always falling. So we're going to correct that in this movie. But I wish in the be behind the scenes videos of this, where they're just talking about their roles and like, yeah, this is this is this is Carter Blake 2.0. I don't fall once in this movie. <laughs> the lawyer guy that, he falls over, but me none at all. I want that EPK video right there. That'd be beautiful. But that's you know what. I have I have a brand new appreciation of both Misty from this clip because mm-hmm. she's just so this is her finest moment. I love her in this. She's she's mm-hmm. the boss in this and everyone respects her. And Trent Slater runs without falling. Yep. So I have I'm I've like one eighty'd on both characters. I love them now. Like mm-hmm. they're owning this situation. They're crushing it. I do think the Kims don't get much to do in this. They stand in one spot and make comments. I mean, she does whisper it's possible, so she, you know, yeah. confirms that. They are, I want to like those guys so much, but they are just, they're not the best, eh? Um, they yeah. they don't have much going on in the scene, that's for sure. This really sucks. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh my god, there's sharks, we're scared. What's a frenzy? They try to have some quips. I just think they're maybe not as good of actors as the others, which is, mm. you know, an interesting one. But Yeah, they're, they're fodder. For the sharks more than... Yeah, I don't... I still... I don't not like them. I think that kind of, like... I feel like this movie haunts me a little bit, where it's the only one that I sort of constantly revisit and think about why I do and do not like it. (laughs) Like, it... I don't know what it is, and I feel like this scene sort of epitomizes it quite a bit. Like, if... Or this chapter completely like as you said at the jump you know so much is happening in this nine minutes of this movie and i wish this would have continued on for the rest of the movie this pace of like happening 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 but instead right after this like a million things happen people are dying there's a like bubbling cauldron of baby sharks it just like slows right down and then people are just walking in water so i feel like 
this chapter of this movie is not representative of Deep Blue Sea at all, but is memorable to why you could maybe like it and enjoy watching it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was going to say something funny, but that was a good point. What was your funny thing? <laughs> say your funny thing. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. <laughs> say I, your I, funny I think... thing, Mox. <laughs> I, well, I think it's the framing in this film. So the the cinematographer in this movie, Thomas uh, Calloway, he's worked on, I mean, he's been working since the 80s. He was on Friday the 13th, The New Blood, Ghoulies Go to College. I mean, this is someone who has worked in low-budget horror, worked in, I mean, just, uh, there was a cinematographer on Feast, the 2005 film. So a lot of decent films that has just worked. But I think the framing doesn't help the dialogue because, we get a lot of one shots or two shots mm. or just both characters in the cafeteria looking towards the camera. So they're just sort of in frame. And so they're not, they're just reciting lines with someone off camera as opposed to being in a big group or doing it over the shoulder. I know they didn't have much time for that. It's mm-hmm. a lot more work because, you know, you get the over the shoulder two lighting things, background, yada, yada. I think some of the framing, and I don't think it's a cinematographer's fault. I just think, they didn't have much time, so they needed to capture these shots because they're much quicker. And I think that hurt the dialogue with the actors because there's not a communal feel to them. I mean, when we look back at Deep Blue Sea, there's a bunch of shots with all of them together doing dialogue, walking, mm-hmm. talking in the shot, looking at the computer monitors. This one, they're all staggered. I get it. It makes it quicker. But I do think that help hurts the flow of the humor and the dialogue a little bit. That's my. That's one of the reasons why I think it plays a little off but I think it was necessary due to budget constraints and, and time. Yeah, I think, I really think you can't understate how the budget and time does affect this movie. It's something like I talk about in the piece that I wrote where it's like, like people really hate this movie because it's not as good as the original, which like, you know, original thinking for a sequel, but it's like, the first movie was given so much money and time and marketing and prominence and all these different things. And this movie just didn't, didn't have that. And so, you know, we make fun of, you know, they're in this wet lab. There's like three locations in this movie. And I think you're right. I think, uh, who was it? Uh, the YouTube series blood bath and beyond, they sort of make fun of the editing of this movie. And I think you could make it into a drinking game where the amount of times they say topside is hilarious, as well as like the weird cut sequences, like all of a sudden, you know, Misty's fully clothed looking at the sharks and then bam, she's getting into a wetsuit and about to jump into a pool. So there is a lot of disjointedness, but I agree. Like, I don't, I think they did the best with what they had. And I think the director, I mean, Darren Scott himself is a pretty prolific producer, I would say, not a director. You know, he produce, you know, Menace to Society, things like that. And so as a director, he's not as great. But what I get from this movie, and I think why I sort of feel endeared to it in different ways, part of that is I do really like Danielle Savre, if I'm saying her name wrong, sorry. But I get a sense of fun from this movie. Like, I feel like they really enjoyed making it. And I agree, I wish you could feel that a little bit more on screen with them all sort of acting together, because it feels like you're either doing like a one scene, you know, Misty's quipping, or it's like two people together or that's it. You know, we mm-hmm. don't we don't get that in group environment at all. And I feel like they it would have been these characters are maybe slightly more likable than the original. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, no, it's you're absolutely right. Just the editing. And, you know, I think maybe the editing is is kind of it, it, it's like that because they just didn't have much time. Like they just yeah. don't have time to get them back and forth and extra shots. Mm-hmm. So I think they were just. 
I think they had to move at such a fast pace yeah. through this film that you just don't have the footage to edit. And because of that, it definitely is affected. But I guess one thing I have is I think I really um, I, I appreciate low budget filmmaking because of the way they get really creative with their budget. I mean, you watch mm-hmm. certain films like I love Session Nine. I think it's ingenious how they they found a location, wrote a script for it to save money so they didn't have to build sets, very minimal set build. They got good actors, kept it cheap. I guess the one maybe another fatal flaw with Deep Lucy is they're not too creative with their budget. And no. so you have this styrofoam shark, which I think it was just petrified because of whatever they injected her. And she's just <laughs> overacting right now. I think yeah, Bella's she's like, committed. She's be committed. still, be still, be still like that's So you look really awkward like yeah. when you think you're being natural. Like you actually look really awkward. And that's what Bella's doing. So <laughs> she's it's got like, you know, two cups in her fins. <laughs> you know, when you're really drunk and you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to act normal. And everyone's yeah. like, man, that guy is, that guy's super drunk, but it's, yeah, I, 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 I just wish they could have been a little more creative with some of their budget because South Africa is so beautiful and just the locations they were at. I know you have to shoot on sets. You know, yeah. if you go out, that's more expensive on location. But I guess Deep Blue C3 proved on a very minimal budget, you could also make a really nice outdoor mm-hmm. film that looks beautiful and with under five million. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I know they had a very limited budget and time. But I just wish they would have been a little more creative with yeah. in their budget, if that makes sense. Well, they are creative with the the, the use of the, the one corridor and the different lighting, which we'll get more into in yeah. the chapters. We get it just towards the end of this chapter, but that is that is a technique they did use here, where it's clearly just had one. We we, we see kind of we always see a map of of Achilles, Achilles in uh, yes. in, in this chapter where on one of Aaron's many many monitors there is kind of a, a map, <laughs> and it's a lot more labyrinthine than i was expecting um mm-hmm. it's i'm going to try and map it out i think for the events that happen in the future chapters trying to work out where everyone is at any given time because it's it's huge okay. it's all over the place so i mean if you, in this wet lab room you think maybe there's just one or two entrances in but we find out later there's like five or six and it's it's immense but we don't get that impression without that map it's okay. just it's just because everyone's in different corridors with different lighting in them so, yeah, and you only really see, like, two doors from the wet lab, so I don't really know how they all got shot into, like, seven different corridors, yeah. but... And they're all shut. All the doors are shut. Anyway, we'll, we'll cover that later. Yeah, <laughs> later, later. Later chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think going... I, this one, this chapter to me, it also makes me feel like, oh, poor Darren Scott. Like, I feel like it, he just overcommitted to the idea of this being a sequel, you know what I mean? Like, this scene is, like, an ode to the arm scene with Dr. Jim Whitlock, but it's it's like it's super constrained by all of that. Like I think it's like a fun homage, and then he does like flip the script. But I think he does that too many times in this movie, where it's like you think this is gonna happen, but I'm gonna change it. But it's like you're still manufacturing the same scene <laughs> yeah. over and over again. Yeah, because it's like Craig the lawyer is he's he's separated from the rest of the group when the explosion yeah. happens, and you think okay. He's the preacher character of this story. He's off on oh, his own really? somewhere else. He's going to have his own adventure. He hasn't got a bird. He's got a tie instead. And oh, it's my just... God. That same <laughs> tie. He never changes his tie, and it's so hideous. It's, it, it, is that, it is a different hideous tie from the first scene. He has two equally hideous ties that are both the same color but different pattern. But he has, he has a matching tie-headphone cushion combo they're oh all God. the same luminous yellow it's disgusting to look at i cannot make it. I just yeah can't. his headphones are so good he can't even hear the explosion right. up top you know what i mean 
get me those. So. so so he's on his own and you kind of think oh he's the preacher guy he even goes through some of the say he has like a wounded head he has water drips on his head at one point he gets swept down a corridor and then he dies he's like the first person who dies from the crew and then you don't even see the death i get i get that it's uh an element of mystery like oh it's it was baby sharks that didn't get that reveal at the end of this chapter of <gasps> it was the babies <laughs> but i still the first time i watched this i still thought oh i feel short change that we didn't get to see that death yeah that would have been cool to like that we discovered that it's baby sharks first. Like you see them. I mean, it would have been hard with the CGI, but like see them creeping up on him and taking him. I feel like maybe they tried to hint at it. Cause when he falls, he screams like he's in agony. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like the sharks are getting him or if it's just like, yeah, yeah. He like hit his head and it's like, also there's like a tidal wave of water coming at him and he's (laughs) He's just definitely going to (laughs) die. It's also that scene is really weird because they choose, yeah, to put him in headphones and have him narrate his, like, <laughs> log. And I'm like, why don't you just put him on a phone? Like, have him talk to or, like, talking to a voice recorder or something. Like, it's very weird that there's, like, 30 seconds of narration. Well, that's it. Yeah. He could, he could be on the phone to somebody and then the phone could go dead, which would then show without telling us. The, oh, the, yeah. uh, the power's gone down. Communication's been shut down. That would be... That's a punch-up. I like that. Yeah, instead of being like, these headphones are so good, I don't hear explosions. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just falls over. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's... Na- noise cancelling right there. Those headphones. Yeah. Strong noise cancelling vibes. Yeah. <laughs> My other favourite, like, text part of this chapter is when, you know, stuff's starting to go crazy and they're like oh my god you know that they're taking out the cams maybe that's before after but then aaron's like i'm gonna try to get it back online and then how fast he types and he's just like typing the fastest yeah (laughs) angry typing it reminds me of that like bruce almighty gif or like the kermit (laughs) the frog one just going crazy Um, what's he fixing though i mean everything's just exploding he's like i can fix it i'm like yeah yeah, he's trying he's trying to bring the fence back online he's trying to hack the fence back into working i don't I don't think you can, but I admire his optimism and his effort in doing so. Yeah. He's and I trying. guess that's their first thing, their first rule, other than the don't piss into the wind comment they make, is, you know, make sure the sh- the fences are always working. But uh, so I guess they're really committed to that. And I'd be like, hey, bro, I think your problem is maybe that the unit is flooding and you should probably get out. <laughs> yeah, try, try and hack that closed. Yeah, and then, like, make a deal with the sharks later. Like, they seem like not the most important thing right now, but that's fine. (laughs) So. Yeah, they could just get back up to the surface. Yeah. Right? The elevator isn't isn't down yet. I think it goes down, well, once Trent, yeah, actually, yeah, once the explosion happens, we get an elevator malfunction message on the screen. So they can't lift up. But they, Durant knows that there's that passage, the the tunnel, the ladder, in a future chapter. do you think if Trent got stuck topside and then he's trying to get down to them, that could have been a neat subplot. That could work, yeah. He could he could make the call to the Coast Guard and so they could still have that, that element. He's trying to get But down you needed the electric chemistry between him and Misty to really propel you through this movie, you know? Yeah. I want fifty minutes of her just watching him welding. Oh, I would love it. They cut out a scene yeah. that was like them yeah. having the rope. I was like, why would you do that? It's that would that's one of the best scenes in the movie. You cut it out. Them having romance, but 
No room for romance in Achilles, I I see. So I was a little annoyed when they called her Doctor Calhoun and not Doctor Misty Calhoun. I think it's a name that you just got to say all the way through, Doctor Misty Calhoun. Uh, Yeah, yeah. it is. (laughs) Translator. The names are bananas in this movie. Like (laughs) whose whose name is Misty Calhoun? (laughs) It's my favorite. I love it. It's. That's my, that's my, uh, how Deep Blue Sea 2 is better than Deep Blue Sea is, it's not Dr. Susan McAllister, it's Dr. Misty Calhoun. It's such a phenomenally better name. I love it so much. It's, oh man, I agree. It's so, oh, it's so, and like, Translator is also, <laughs> wow. Like, and then Carl Durant, and then nobody else has last names. But They, they all do on IMDb, but not in the actual film. I don't know where all these surnames came from. It's like Aaron Elroy. Leslie and Daniel Kim, they say, I think. But Mike Chateau, Josh Hooper, Craig Burns. Oh, yeah. Those are not said. I wish Mike had a last name in this movie. And then people just call... No, but people say, hey, Mike Chateau, help us out over here. Like, I just want nothing but full names. Trent Slater. That's tough. Like, if I was a football player, I wouldn't just have Slater. I would have Trent Slater on my football jersey. Like, anywhere I go, it's just Trent Slater. You would just, even if your name was translator, you would still have Dr. Misty Calhoun on your jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, this is her best scene. I, uh, where All her <laughs> scenes are her best scene. She's great, guys. Yeah. We stand no, Misty Calhoun in this movie. I just don't know why she made those students watch her swim around for 20 minutes in because the ocean. Because which... her body is jacked because she looks great. <laughs> She's great. You Hot dog. It's funny you say that because her her company, they need grants. They're running out of money. So maybe she's going to these places and showing these sizzle reels of her swimming around to get more interest in her company. Do you think that could be possible? <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's a good – she should do it. She looks great. I think what I hope and what my husband said too was that that video that she shows students of her swimming with the sharks, that that music is also still piped in. You know, that, that, <laughs> yes. is, that song is always playing. So she um, hired somebody to make that. So wait, Misty Cal, Doctor Misty Calhoun, hired yeah. someone to. I mean, or maybe that song's out. She got royal like the the rights to use it. But I, I like to think she hired somebody. I like to mm-hmm. think that that person that the music is, the video is silent and the musician is accompanying her on her tour. <laughs> and in the corner of the room, I, there is a full band yeah. and a singer. <laughs> Or it's just like Misty sang it herself, and then it's just like she presses a tape recorder and plays it in the background or something. Yes. I want multiple versions of this. I want Sue George from Life Aquatic singing it in Portuguese. Imagine that. that. No, this song is truly atrocious. It's (laughs) devastating that it's in the movie. I know it's not part of this scene. The score for this part, this chapter in the movie, is actually great. Um, It should have been louder. It was very quiet. But the actual score is like really tension building, especially, you know, when Trent's up there not tripping on the, on the sidewalk, doing nothing about the gas. Um, it's really, it's really tension building. It's really great. Um, so I don't, I don't know where that came from, but, uh, yeah, like, oh, well, but we're talking about money and where you put your money. And so I'm like, how did you get such a nice little musical score for this movie and why? But it did its trick, but I wrote that in all caps. So you read my mind right there. That's a good, they, that's an effective thing. You have the shark cam, the hand and mouth and the good score. That's, that, that was, that's where it's at right there for that scene. I love it. You know what? Three of my top 10 favorite moments from this movie are in this right now. 
this scene is this scene is as you said jam-packed this movie in general we'll speak in generals doesn't get enough credit for building the lore of deep blue sea like there is no deep blue sea three without deep blue sea two and i feel like which is you know, obviously the way that numbers work, that's true, but within <laughs> within the story itself, you know, Deep Blue Sea has a really great story, but it's because of this movie, and I feel like they don't get enough credit for that. You know, the original sequel for this movie was going to be totally bonkers, right? Like, it was taking place on a military ship. Mm-hmm. Please stop me if you've talked about this before. Please tell us, yeah. Oh, well, it was like... Jack Perez, who did, I believe it was Mega Shark versus Giant. Ooh, I'm gonna forget. Giant octopus. Crocodile, Giant Giant Octopus. With the uh, plane scene. Yeah, they were. He was tapped to do it, and it was gonna be these sharks in a military submarine with like a bunch of different pipe work, and they were gonna have lasers on their head, and then Somali pirates were gonna come in and you know try to take over the ship, pirate it, you know, um, and then the you know, danger would ensue with all these sharks going through the pipes and it was going to be really wild. And I, you know, we all want to see that movie, but then it got turfed because I think they said DVD sales weren't happening, which is kind of a weird short-sighted thing. So this one came in and it's, you know, much more of a direct sequel and people always say it rips off the first and remakes it, which I don't agree with, but, (laughs) but yeah, it's like, it does deepen the story, which I think good sequels do. You know, they try to, I wish, again, I wish they would have been, more direct about talking about Susan McAllister's research and maybe pulling in that thread. They go in a different direction, but they do deepen so much of it. But I do think what it does differently and what launches the third one is the babies. I think that's such a great twist for this movie. The baby gang at the end of this chapter, just running amok in green water, is the happiest, the best baby gang I've seen since Raya and the Last Dragon, where the baby is in a, a team with these other creatures. And it's just a little baby gang. That's what I call it. But I love it. I love the little baby gang, baby shark gang. It's a fun clip right there, right? It's it fun. Now, what, one criticism I've seen other people make is that there's there seems like 30 or 40 shark babies here. There's, there's quite a lot. It's too many to count. But bull sharks will give birth to 1 to 13 sharks mm-hmm. like but also it's it's definitely modified it's the, it's the whole like mm-hmm. hormones change dna whatever so i just dismiss that criticism out of hand like it's they're definitely modified super sharks therefore feeding mm-hmm. frenzy babies fine yeah well there's i don't know if this applies to bull sharks i had i i think it applies to sand tiger sharks definitely and i'm not sure about the other ones but with sand tiger sharks and maybe some others, shark pups cannibalize each other in the womb. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they only give birth usually to like one or two. And they think also it's because like there's multiple like parents within. So it's like a survival of the fittest within the womb because it's like different baby daddies are battling each other through their children in the womb. And so potentially like I think that's an interesting narrative for this movie, even if cannibal shark babies doesn't apply to bull sharks but like instead of cannibalizing each other they turn that aggression onto the humans and therefore the other sharks if and when they get out into the real ocean so i feel like that's fun but like it is true that bull sharks give birth to live sharks that are like ready to be swimming and just 
little sharks ready to go. And so, you know, they, they stayed as true as they needed to. So little genetically modified bull sharks who are just ready to go, ready yeah. for carnage. Super Great. piranhas. Nothing yeah. but teeth and... Teeth and muscle and killer instinct. Thank you. It wasn't, that's not quite a misty quip, but it's, but it's close. But it, it follows, maybe my least favorite misty moment of the whole film is when she okay. realizes what, what it is. And then she just has this really long pause before telling anyone. I find it <laughs> so frustrating watching this because she's like, at eight minutes and 35 seconds into the chapter, she goes, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Pause for nine seconds. I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> pause for 13 seconds and that Bella isn't pregnant anymore during that time three separate characters go like figured what out what's happening what is it spit yeah. it out and I feel so much for these other characters who are just like what's, we're all in danger the, the whole place is shut down it's flooded what tell us god damn it I just yeah. I'm yeah. so frustrated with her yeah Trent she's like being she's too quick to become friends with Trent in that moment because you can tell he's affecting her where like instead of maybe being like hey guys Bella had her babies let's get out of here right. she's like I'm gonna stare at this and do nothing yeah. <laughs> for like <laughs> a minute <laughs> Carl, Josh, Aaron they all just thought they just wait for everyone to gather around for her big dramatic reveal moment and it's just it's so frustrating yeah. Yeah. Trent and his stupid welding cost them everything yeah I mean let's and Trent's all right. You know, my friend who watched this movie, the first thing she texted to me upon seeing Trent, and I believe Mike, was, ooh, Beefcake Island. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. It's true. They're all pretty beefy. They all look great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do have a bone to pick, though, because little baby bull sharks mm-hmm. are, are nothing. Okay. The Piranhas from Piranha 3D, the Alejandro Aja film, which is beautiful. Hell yeah. Love Great. that movie. Great. Gore yeah. perfected. We talked about a movie, Films of Flakes, Jay. We did. Great film. It's awesome film. Yeah. There's a two-hour documentary about the making of it on Vimeo, if anybody's interested. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe 90 minutes, two hours, but yeah, it's loaded with how they shot it. I mean, I really respect him from Crawl and his uh, um, Hills of Eyes, and so they cover everything about Piranha 3D on Vimeo, and it's cool. All the, the makeup, special effects, I digress. They brush off Super Piranhas quite easily. They do. And I keep getting thrown off because I don't know why, but I, I have Sriracha in my notes, not Piranha. So I really, <laughs> yeah. I don't sriracha. know why I wrote that, but <laughs> yeah, Super Sriracha. I, I love that too, shoot. But it's, they're just like, yeah, they would wipe them off the face. Like that's not, I don't know, little baby bull sharks who are genetically modified versus Super Piranhas. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, bull sharks, easy. Like that's not, I mean, if you're talking about LeBron James versus me in basketball, I go LeBron. But mm-hmm. these two seem more evenly matched. So I didn't like that. The Super Piranhas didn't get their due. Yeah. Misty just says they're, they're worse, much worse. And I wanted, like, well, how? How, how is <laughs> yeah. that? Elaborate, please. <laughs> I know. I feel like that's when they could have, like, brought it back to the first. Because, like, I don't know. The Gen 2s were worse, right? Like, they're bigger, they're smarter, all these things. And it's the same here where it's, like, these are, you know, she sort of explains it, but they're they're like she's much worse. End scene. Leave leave the wet lab. Like it's just like nothing. We're just supposed to believe her, which I guess is fine. But yeah, I wanted to know more. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the little baby sharks should have been going down the corridor, snapping their fingers like the sharks <laughs> in the from West Side Story. And like, man, these are some oh, I smart that. sharks. I, I watched yeah. an episode of of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from season six. My wife and I going through it at the moment, and there is a character in that who is like a mob boss with a shark head. And it's mm. it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. 
It's just this, this human body with like shark fins sticking out the sleeves and then a shark head and a fin sticking at the top of a suit and it's glorious. So yes, I would like a whole gang of them, but baby version, clicking their fins going down the corridor. That would be wonderful. Give them some monocles, oh. right? I mean, just... I mean, that would really show how these drugs are working, you know? <laughs> we didn't know what this, what the drugs would do. My word, their DNA, it's all over the place. Yeah. They're they the to musical theater enthusiasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They learned to make like suits. Smart... Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're tailoring. Yeah. And they're welding later on, too. This one's wearing Craig's tie. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then he yeah. barked it out because it's so ugly. That tie. That is, yeah. Well, I love how that's, to... that's how they recognize the body. <laughs> <laughs> they're like i don't know who that is oh i see that hideous tie it's craig <laughs> good riddance you know. has a tie ever taken you out of a film before because i, I hate hating on it but when we when we first meet the lawyer in that yellow tie i immediately just went oof yeah. i've yeah. never really had that reaction to a tie before have you ever had that in a film I don't think so, because the next time we meet Craig, too, he's got, like, all of his collars are popped, and he's still wearing that tie, and you're like, wow, like, this, you are dying for sure in this. I would say it's the worst part of the film, is his yeah. tie. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Craig's like tie, that. for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's the only flaw in this movie, is I'm, the worst I'm not going that far, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, for me, it's the worst part. Yeah, no, because it takes you out, and yeah. not in a good way. So when I hear Joy Swim, I just go, I love this movie. Oh, yeah. When I hear other quotes in this, I love it. When I see Carl Durant having a limitless moment, Chuck moment, with all the math flashing in front of his face. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Beautiful. With that tie, I'm out of here. Tie, I'm out of here. The other thing that doesn't take me out, but probably should, it's not in the scene, so forgive me, but my my actual, other than the arm scene, my actual favorite move, moment in this movie is when Carl is doing his, like, big limitless speech and then, you know, name drops the title, which we love, but then you just see Bella staring through the window. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Best part. It's that terrible, is, but it's, it's so entertaining. It's, it's so terrible. good. Well, it makes me laugh because, like, the best thing about Deep Blue Sea is Rennie Harlan doesn't understand, like, subtlety. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, let's do it. Everything is text. And so what I love about this movie is, like, Darren Scott doesn't get that even more and just, like, makes it, like, so much more text. And that Bella's staring through the window is the epitome of that. Like, it's, it is the best. <laughs> In the first one, Susan glances at the window. There's nothing there. But we think, oh, maybe you feel it. something. Yeah. But here it's yeah. like, oh no, there's a giant shark. It's there at the window. Oh, yes, <laughs> Bella's just straight floating outside the window. She's so smart. Yeah. Which actually, okay, here's my theory. Which, uh, let me know. What, okay, so Bella's staring out the window, spying on Carl. Can definitely hear because she's super smart. And so she hears how Durant's like discussing everything about the sharks. And then when he's done with them, he's got a kill switch and he's going to kill all the sharks. So she hears that and she decides that's not great. And so she, <laughs> she's, she's not with it. And so she figures out how to, like, she knows she's going to go into like the wet lab or whatever, but she figures out how to both stave off the sedative that they give her and also that if she can do something that will trigger a fast drop into the water, it will trigger her birth and therefore she will give birth to the baby sharks, which are her legacy. So even if she dies, 
she will continue on. Yeah, right? Beautiful. I'm, I'm 100. I'm uh, yeah. 150 percent. Um, this is amazing. That's perfect. You, uh, yep, you nailed it. Yep. That, that's canon right there. This <laughs> canon did it. Lock the episode. We're done. But I feel like that's what happens. You know, it's like the same with like all the other sharks in Deep Blue Sea. Is you know they're hurting the people to what they want. And with her, I feel like it's all about the baby. So therefore, when they say, you know, the sharks are in a frenzy and there's something inside the compound they want, I feel like the humans think it's them, but it's actually the babies, right? Like they want to get the babies back. Uh, we we think it might be they want to kill Durant. That's what, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, Bella that comes into play in a, like really towards yeah. the end of the film where. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, that <laughs> does come into play. That's right. They want they him gone. Like, maybe they have two plans. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I do think it's interesting. The director says this too, that it's like, you know, the first one, the sharks are in the compound and this one it's, they can't get in, but the babies are. And it's like, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good twist. Baby gang. It's beautiful. Wearing monocles and snapping. Baby so gang. good. Yeah. Now I'm no expert on, on, um, sedatives, but did, Bella maybe I'm have happy a huge to hear lunch. Did Bella, <laughs> exactly. Did Bella have a huge lunch? Just ate a lot. Well, she okay. ate those fishermen. Yeah, the fishermen. Yeah. So you still have, you're still digesting. You have all that kind of protein and bones and guts in you. So if you get sedatives on an empty stomach, yeah, uh, is it worse than being full? I, I don't want to. I feel like Google how to sedate somebody, but I'm gonna. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Also. When they inject her, don't they inject it into, like, her fin? Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't that not be a great place to do it? Because <laughs> that's just, like, cartilage. <laughs> Trent Slater is a, what do you say, a beautiful dummy? He's a he's beautiful just, dummy. Yeah. He's just, he did it in the wrong spot. He did it in the wrong spot. I also don't understand. So, oh. I mean, I imagine it's a plan... The plan already was like to bring bring the shark up, much like they do in Deep Blue Sea, to like show the lightning in a bottle scene. But in this one, it's like I don't know. I guess they're just like showing something. It's unclear why they're bringing the shark in for a demonstration. Maybe other than to show that they treat it okay. But why do they need a throat culture? Like they're talking about giving an ultrasound, and then he's like, "I'm just gonna get a throat culture," and like reaches in with like a back scratcher <laughs> type of thing, and. It's all very weird. Okay, so apparently eating uh, grapefruit, spinach, or kale or other things high in vitamin K can reduce the mm. effectiveness of sedatives. So maybe one of the fishermen had eaten a whole bunch of spinach. Yeah. Wow. Fishermen, very much known for eating a lot of spinach, for he, sure. He just loved Popeye. And he did. The shark just took, yeah. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> if this was a plan of some kind, if they could smell the spinach on the boat, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's a serious mm-hmm. Uh, that's it too. That's canon now. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and I hate this. This is such a lazy answer to to what you asked because I, I, maybe the throat culture is good because of some sort of I don't know amoeba or culture or I don't uh, yada yada. But it's also just a great way to get a camera inside of a shark's mouth. Yeah. And, uh, but but that's lazy though. I, I wish I could come up with something better. I mean, they obviously needed it, right? They're doing it because they need it. I mean, sometimes the simplest answers are the right ones you know what i mean they need a throw culture because that's for germs i think because that's oh there it is yeah sure yeah yeah would, would, would it be better or worse if they were removing another license plate oh man i'm so glad they like that's the thing like 
that makes me annoyed when I read other people's reviews where they're like blasting this movie for like <laughs> homaging Deep Blue Sea, which like makes sense that it would. But then they'll talk about loving all these other shark movies that just like straight up rip off Jaws so hard. And I'm like, okay, like you need to check yourself. <laughs> so um, I'm oh, glad they did that. If, oh, what if they removed a little plastic bag containing the recorder with Preacher's Legacy on it? <gasps> I would love that. Oh my <laughs> God. Big omelets. No, we know, but there's no like, kitchen in this place. Or just they, like, fully pull out Stellan Skarsgård because he's still alive preserved <laughs> through his oxygen mask. His, his, uh, his cigarette's still smoking down there. Yeah. 19 years. <laughs> or no, yeah, yeah, whatever this came out. <laughs> they just keep pulling like a clown car. His entire yeah. stretcher. It's Skokin's leg. It's still kicking. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's Jan's vagina. We still have it. <laughs> she was a healthy girl. Look. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> the op saucy table, they're just going through all that, saying exactly what y'all just said. Oh, that's... Some I can't think... Hollandaise, some Finnish pancakes. There's a oh. in here. Yeah, they could have used something, because it actually made me sad when they used just that piece of wood to prop open the shark's mouth. And I'm like, that doesn't seem humane. Like they could have used, or like medical, like they could have used something a little bit better, but it's like, yeah, maybe they could have used, I don't know, an homage to the other movie, just a license plate or something like that. You know, I do love that when the shark comes to life and is about to bite him, that they always make the shark sound like a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've been around for a long time. Uh, yeah. Since it was just flesh and teeth, so yeah, it's it makes sense. So Good. going back to what you said about, uh, what I, I don't like in in criticism and, and a lot of people's complaints, just real selectivism, and maybe that's I don't know if that's the right word, but you look at Jurassic World, it's a remake of Jurassic Park essentially. Mm-hmm. You look at Force Awakens, it's essentially mm-hmm. a remake, and you get all that. Those made billions of dollars, and they're really fresh. Critics loved them. Solid audience scores. But then you get a movie that does the same thing in a different way, and people are like, oh, that's a ripoff. And it's just a selective the, – the selectiveness of what and what is not a ripoff, even though most movies, I mean, have DNA of the movies before them. It's really hard to be original nowadays and not feature something. I mean, whether it's a comic book adaptation or a remake. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just the, the selectiveness in complaining about what rips off what. Just because you don't like it, you're like, oh, it's a ripoff. But you love a ripoff, and you don't say it's a ripoff. I know it's a the yeah. long thing to say, but it does get a little old. Yeah, if you think of a, a sequel that took practically nothing from its predecessors, would be like Halloween Three, Season mm-hmm. of the Witch. And when that came out, it was panned. Right? Yes. So yeah. it just went a different direction. It's nothing to do with the first two. So you can't win. <laughs> yeah. I also, I think it's more than just for me. It's more than just the ripoff too. Like. For me, what I see when people are pan- like, I'm very clear to be like, this movie isn't great, and I don't think any of us are like, yeah, it's better than the first. This is the best shark movie. Like, but it has some stuff. This this chapter specifically, the arm scene, is that stuff. You know, it's one of the layers of stuff that it has. But I think people are very quick to be like flippant and glib about this because. It's super easy to like, it's really easy to pan this movie, but I think 
they're panning stuff that's not actually there. And I think that's where the frustration comes for me. Like, yeah. And the director is very clear about in his interviews where he's like, yeah, we did, you know, take that initial arm scene with Stellan Skarsgård, but we flipped it. And it's like, okay, yeah. And I think sometimes he gets a little too caught up in this idea of how he wants to be it to be a sequel. Like instead of maybe deepening the backstory or like trying to do things new, he's, he's really constrained himself and that's his own directorial choice. And that's fine. But like, the stuff that people rip on, <laughs> it's not really there. And it's also, they're not giving credit where credit is due. Like this arm scene and everything around it triggers the entire main part of the movie, which is the babies are in the corridor, which is new. Like that is a new thing for both the Deep Blue Sea series and like the shark movies in in general, I would say. You know, there have been baby sharks, but not this baby before in the way that they are portrayed. And in like the piece that I wrote, I talk a lot about sort of the concept of the sequel, both, both like what is a direct and what is not a direct sequel. And I think the legacy of Deep Blue Sea being shark experimentation is fine. And also we have to remember that none of the sharks from Deep Blue Sea, the originals, survived. So like he did have to start with a blank slate, a new cast, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And I think he did a pretty good job with what he had. Like, I mean, maybe I'm a bit of a homer for him. But I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, I just feel like people need to review what's actually there. I think that's maybe I'm getting a bit ranty now, but um, I think no. they're just ignoring stuff that's there. That's good. You know, I'm really with you. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel the same way sometimes when people give a movie an unfair shake. And maybe I get a little too defensive over it mm-hmm. because like, let's say it's not like objectively good. Even though mm-hmm. uh, it's such a tough term, like, yeah, I mean, you can make a $25,000 movie and you're like, well, it's not good, but yeah, it's a great $25,000 movie. I digress. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I get a little too defensive over movies when I think they're not getting the respect they deserve. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, is that kind of the way you're feeling? Like, it's not a great, I, I hate saying that. It's not a great movie. It's Deep Blue Sea 2. So that's such like mm-hmm. a stock statement to say, but I don't, do, do you feel that way at all? Like, cause I get that way a lot a, about a lot of movies. Yeah, like I don't wanna, I don't wanna grade on a curve, more or less, mm-hmm. but like, to me, when, as a sequel to Deep Blue Sea, it's, it's obviously not as good, because again, we've talked about budget, um, I think it could have gone deeper with the story, we've talked about that in a few different ways, how they could have made it better. But I think they did a pretty good job, and I think it serves as an excellent bridge to the next movie. I think as a standalone shark movie, too, like, it's fine. Like, I can think of much worse shark movies than this. Like, I this one, to me, is in the arena of, like, a bait, maybe, where it's like there is too much going on with this enormous cast, um, but there's some really good moments. Bait's better, but, like, it's fine, but... I think I love me, bait. <laughs> yeah, so bait, good, right? yeah, like I just, yeah. The, anyways, I, I, I but you're digress, right. You have but, the car part. You, you have the car part, and then you have the different dynamics with like the exes. Yeah. And you have the the jerk guy. There's a lot of characters in. Bait. There's a lot. There's a lot in bait. It's like a moralistic thriller that's like marketed as like a fun Sharknado. It's very weird, but like. For me, what I get from this movie and what I like about movies and why I don't like things like The Meg and Sharknado as well is because to me, there's intention behind this. And I think I probably spoke about that a lot with Deep Blue Sea is that, you know, Rennie Harlan went in, he wanted to make his big, flashy blockbuster horror movie, and he did that. 
And for me, I get the same vibes from the director here where like he knew he was constrained and he knew it was going to be this like Sisyphean task to make this movie. But he went in with his intention and he had fun and he tried hard. And to me, that comes across in this movie. You know, we talked about he used the (laughs) plastic models when he could. He didn't use as much CGI. Like I like that they used the boiling water to show the baby sharks as opposed to just like the same CGI shot over and over and over again. And, you know, with the different color corridors, like he tried to put different things in this movie. And to me, that's important. And Bates like that, too. You know, he tried to do Mm -hmm. as much in-camera work as possible. And that's great. Like, that's what I like in these movies is the sort of like visceral thing as opposed to like cheap thrills, like what happens in the Meg and a a Sharknado. So, yeah, I'm so glad you said that about the Meg. I'm not the biggest Meg fan. I hate, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I hate the Meg so much, guys. <laughs> so. <laughs> it has so much potential. It has such a great cast. It's got a couple of decent moments, but uh, it's disappointing. That movie, to me, is soulless. Yeah. It's, yes. made, yeah. it's made by people who just want to cash in, which they did. They don't understand why people like shark movies and things like that. Whereas, like, Darren Scott isn't a horror person, but you spoke about the cinematographer sort of understanding horror, and I think that's why we get these glimpses that, we, you know, we talk about loving the arm scene, the shower scene again, which you guys will speak about in a future episode, I think is really great, it's really haunting, and, like, I think that's why those moments come across, so it's like, yeah, you can bash Deep Blue Sea. You know, we've been bashing it. There are some weird things. You know, the dialogue can be really stilted. I think sometimes Michael Beach is a little too, a little too much, but that's fine too. No, this he movie's is perfect. He's great. You know, he's had, you know, who doesn't like Michael Beach? And like, I really like Misty Calhoun. The name is insane, but she's great. So there are things to mock and I don't think, but I feel like we're coming from it from a place of like respect and liking it as opposed to like, I feel like a lot of people watch this movie already deciding what it is. Yeah. And that's that's too easy. It really is. It's so boring. Yeah. Like use your use take some nootropics, use your brain <laughs> and think about <laughs> it in a different way. Go limitless. Um, go limitless. I do think uh, I gotta say though, I love that you brought up the Misty Calhoun changing into a wetsuit scene because they didn't focus on it and she was doing it in front of everybody yep. and nobody was looking. Nope. Yep. So she just went, um, oh, enough of this. So they're all chatting. She's in the background just putting on a wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I love it. Misty's Sorry. all business. You know, this scene, she's, she's all business. I also love, and I don't say this as uh, being mean, but I love that she can never fully do up a shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if I was her, I wouldn't either. But it's also like, it just makes me laugh where I'm like, I feel like she should be allowed to do up her wetsuit the entire Well, way. that's it. We'll talk about it next week. Next week is the yeah. wetsuit scene, and she makes yeah. a point of where she stops the zip. It's like a a button on the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll get there next week. Like her coat, yeah. And in previous scenes, her coat is never done up. But, like, that's fine. And it's weird, too, because Carl Durant buttons up his Henleys all the way up. All the way. Which makes no sense to me. You never go full with a a Henley. But then she can't (laughs) zip up her. You never get full Henley. And again, he's part of Beefcake Island, so he doesn't, he should be popping that collar open. That's right. He's intimidated. Full button. Yeah. He, he feels like he he's, feels inadequate that he's not as beefcakey as he should be to be on Beefcake Island, and so he's buttoning up the Henley. I mean, it's a pretty stiff competition on the yeah. island, I will say. So, poor Aaron and Josh, you know, they tried. Yeah, yeah. they can't match with Mike, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Well, yeah, 
<laughs> oh Mike. He's he's a strange one. He's not really he's not really present in our scene too much other than the crucial dropping of the shark, but uh he's a real throwaway character in my opinion. He has so. the greatest deleted scene in the in the <laughs> He has what the best it? deleted scene it's, I've ever seen. It's the in a worst movie. deleted scene in the whole world. <laughs> Tell Jay, you got it. Nothing. It's, okay, Mike is on the surface. He walks along. He fills with the generator. He walks away. That's that's the entirety. <laughs> it's like twenty seconds long. I don't know why they filmed it. I don't know why they left it on the DVD. I don't know why this is like the third chapter we've talked about it now. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a worthless. beautiful deleted scene. <laughs> Beautiful. Worthless. Wait, real quick before we get out of here. I know we're going long, but let's, <laughs> real quick. This is one thing I forgot to ask. Is the sh- Okay, so the camera, obviously the camera, when it's looking at Trent Slater when he's above, you you want to keep that angle up so you can ha- limit, like, you have a lot of limitations with set. You don't want to bring out green screen. You don't have a big set, so you shoot the camera up to get the sky. Uh, it keeps the budget down. It's cheap. I get it. That's why you do it. But are we... Is that the shark watching him <laughs> from the sky? Oh, no, from the ground. Oh, from the, from so it's like the, the camera's sorry, yes. in the water looking up at him. So oh, then yeah, we yeah. see the sky. You yeah, know I what think, I mean? Yes, the one from the water level. Yes, that is absolutely a shark watching him. Because we had the same thing back in the first film with the sharks watching oh. uh, uh, Sam Jackson and Janice uh, when they were on the oh. dock. Just the, the camera's eye view of the, from the water. Yeah, but the ones from the from the the, the sea from the air. I don't know, flying shark. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the piranhas from Piranhas 2. They're the flying ones, you know. Yes. They're coming in to defend the, the super piranhas or whatever. Yes. So. Adam Scott should have popped up in this movie on a jet ski. That That's what they would have found in the shark's mouth. Yeah. Oh. Stuck in here. It's Adam Scott on a jet ski. <laughs> piranhas, Adam Scott. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I think that will do for this chapter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Kate, laughs> any, any final thoughts on this chapter of the film as a whole? shows the importance of backing up your work you know always put your research into the cloud guys yeah, don't, don't... don't wait for the system to go down before you try and back yeah it. exactly don't wait until it's till it's dire straits you know but uh no i really like this part of the movie i think this is a great chapter you should watch it and you won't be disappointed and uh, yeah I'm, nice. I'm glad i got to talk about this scene oh, we're, we're glad you came back to talk about it with us you need to start your own show, Caitlin. You'd be great. You yeah. need to start your own show. I'll, I'll stick to I'll stick to the blog for now. People can <laughs> people can read my nonsense tangents on my blog. So well, where, cool. where can people find that blog? What's the address? Throw it out. I'm not very good at branding, so they can just find me on Medium right now. <laughs> just my name on Medium. You can get at me on Twitter and. Uh, that's where I write all about shark movies on my Sharkometer series and potentially moving into a parallel series with that on um, some different creature feature movies. So we'll see if I actually do that. But um, yeah, I just wrote about the history of shark movies for Blue Demon because that movie was so horrible I didn't want to watch it. So, <laughs> Fair. so yeah. I want to hear your Deep Rising thoughts. I've never seen Deep Rising. Me neither. I uh, I bought the Kino Lorber new Blu-ray with the new commentaries and interviews. It's wonderful. Uh, Steven Summers directed it. Big film. It was supposed to come out before all the boat movies, but then they went to Vancouver and the tank burst, and then it cost them more mov- money to shoot in Vancouver than shoot in L.A. That's why they went to Vancouver to be cheap, and then the tank burst, that cost them. And then they hired a digital effects company that was like, yeah, we can do the job. Then a year later, they're like, we can't do the job. 
So then ILM had to come in. And then when they released the movie in 98, it was after Titanic. It was after Speed 2. So they were supposed to get it out earlier. Mm-hmm. And it would have been ahead of all the boat movies. But because of all the delays, it came out after all the boat movies. And it kind of sunk at the box office. But it's Tree Williams, West Study, Diamond Huntsu battling a sea beast aboard a cruise ship. And oh. it's pretty neat. Put it on the tab. All right, I think cool. it recently showed up on Disney Plus or the Stars section of it. I can't remember. Yeah, I love it. It's it's good. It's good. Stephen Summers he makes fun stuff. So. Treat Williams is always really fun to watch. He always commits and really goes hard. So the Phantom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude crushes that. <laughs> okay. Well, Jay. Uh, yeah. Uh, one thing to get to before we finish. Uh, how deep and blue is this chapter? Uh, this <gasps> chapter is 35% blue. It's the second bluest chapter so far. It is a very blue chapter. All of the mm. scenes in the wet lab, they're lit w- from the the unsettlingly blue light of the wet pool. I don't like mm-hmm. how blue that is, but also the the blue mm-hmm. tanks. and All of Aaron's monitors are blue. And then you have quite a bit mm. up on the surface as well. So it's it's quite a blue chapter. And depth-wise, it is our second deepest chapter so far because uh, Trent keeps on going back up to the surface. So my <gasps> estimate... Trent! Yeah, he screws it all up. He uh, lets us down again. Yeah, but but I think if we were to <laughs> look look at the graph so far, this would be the deepest bluest chapter so far. If you look at the combined average of deepest and bluest, so currently chapter five is winning. All right. Yeah, uh, Mark, do you have any more final thoughts on this chapter? I just loved it. it makes okay. me very happy. Good. Never go full Henley. Never go full Henley. Uh, you can find family. this podcast, Deep Blue Sea the Podcast, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Deep Blue Sea Pod, or email us deepblueseapod at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any thoughts on the rest of the film, then please let us know, or anything you picked up on in previous chapters, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can find more of my writing over at lifeversusfilm.com, Life vs. Film. Follow me on Twitter at Life vs. Film. Listen to the Lambcast. Uh, every month I do a movie trivia episode on the Lambcast, uh, which is always fun. And join the LAM, the large association of movie blogs, largeassmovieblogs.com. If you have a movie blog and want to be part of a bigger community of like-minded people, then come join us at the LAM. Mark, what have you got to plug? Yeah, movies, films, and flicks, movies, films, and FLIX. You can go to the website, read the stuff, or you can go to the podcast. We're just number three in the Philippines. Whoop! Uh, also, I have a couple articles coming out for Rotten Tomatoes about Super and Slither. James Gunn's films are going to have their 10th and 15th anniversary. Then I also did a Godzilla article for them about just looking at the tomato meter between Godzilla and King Kong. So you can read those Mark Hoffmeyer, Rotten Tomatoes, listen to the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong podcast, watch the versus videos on YouTube or Peacock, and then go to film theorists. I have, let's see a three videos on the way. And I should have a minions video released by the time this episode comes out. And then I'm, I got a couple really cool ones in the work. So type in Mark Hoffmeyer film theorists and you can watch my videos there. Excellent. Well, as for this chapter, I want to say thank you to Kate McNabb for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. And uh, I've been Jake Lewitt. And I'm Mark Hoffmeyer. And we'll see you next week. Bye. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.